Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. This is the Four Man Rush. Hey, good evening to everybody. Welcome to Four Man Rush, season one, episode number two. Um, I'm your man, Kevin Avery. And joining us tonight are my partners here, William Harris and Larry Reynolds. Say what's up, fellas. What's up, Anthony? Our fourth member, he uh, he's has other obligations right now, so he might be chiming in later. But we're going to move right along for, for you Monty fans out there. Um, just to let y'all know real quickly what we're going to be t- discussing tonight. I mean, it's been a busy week since the last time we spoke with you guys. Just giving down what's been going on, such as the Matt Khalil release, the signing of Matt Paradis, Daryl Williams re-signing. Today, Bruce Irvin signing with the Panthers. Uh, Taylor Heineck re-signing. We also are going to discuss Cam Newton's new rehab and his new diet that he's on. Uh, got to discuss the uh, Taylor Hearn fight. We're also going to break down the latest with the pro days, and we're going to also discuss the combine drills and how that gives an indication of the type of ability these college players are going to bring to our team. And then we're going to answer the questions that you fans sent in all week, and then we're going to wrap it up for you guys. So that's what we're going to be getting into for this for the night. We're definitely looking forward to it. Got a lot of Panthers talk. So, hey, let's jump right into it. All right. The biggest news was the release of Matt Khalil in a lot of Panthers fans' minds. Uh, public enemy number one for whatever you want to say for his play, for his contract, for whatever reasons. Uh, Panthers Nation was definitely divided about Matt Khalil being on the team. But in a sudden move... Matt Khalil was released. Fellas, how you feel about that? I think it was the right decision. You know, you rewind back to 2017 when we first signed him. I wouldn't have done anything differently. I mean, you tell me you have a um, former top five draft pick, you know, free agent left tackle. You know, we got John Masco. You know, look at his resume. You know, Tony Baselli, Jonathan Ogden, all these Hall of Fame offensive linemen, you know, he's worked with before. You know, he's taking Andrew Norwell, a journeyman, undrafted player, turned him into an all-pro. Darrell Williams, a fourth-round pick, turned him into an all-pro. So you're telling me if I, I'm going to make a gamble that John Masco can turn a former top-five pick and turn his career around and fix some flaws in his game? I'll take that gamble. You know, first part of 2017, he was awful. You know, he looked like the worst player on the field at times. But as the season progressed, we got later in the year, you start to see some improvement, you know. And he was playing good ball later in the year, you know, and it got to the point, you know, look at the last series of the Saints playoff game where you got, um, they moved Cam Jordan to the other side on Daryl's side to rush that last series because Matt Khalil was playing so well that game. So I don't get where you get that speed bump, speed bump McGee comment from because, you know, Matt Khalil was holding his own in that game. So, you know, after seeing what he did the second half of the season, I'm ready to make another gamble. I'm going to say he can sustain that level of play. You know, I'm going to put trust in, you know, John Masco. You know, he's the Mr. Miyagi, the master splinter, the dog whisperer of offensive line coaches, you know. So now we get to the summer and you just see Matt Khalil regressing and getting worse. You know, and at just some point you just got to cut your losses. You know, he gets hurt again. His knee's not right. You know, it's probably in future, another complication from the previous hip injury. So, and plus, you don't want to lose another all-pro offensive lineman because of that big contract. So, at some point, you just got to cut your losses and say enough is enough. And I think that's where point we're at right now. Well, uh, with me, I try to be optimistic with anything that our front office does, whether I agree with it or disagree. But, I mean, I had some pretty compelling evidence from his days in Minnesota that he wasn't going – be what we thought he could be. I mean, fourth overall pick, he's really considered a first-round bust. And some of the most obvious issues that I've seen with his game is just really it was all effort. 
But there were times where it just looked like he took plays off. And I just think at that position, you can't afford to do that when you're trying to protect your $100 million asset. So, you know, although I showed optimism, the whole time he was here, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air to see him go. Just like everybody else, I hated the contract. I mean, I'm just, I'm relieved. I think we can move forward. We can try to fill that position in a much better way now. I wish him luck. I don't think he's a bad guy at all. I know he comes from a great family. So hopefully, you know, he'll have a good rest of his career with whoever he signs on with. But I'm just glad he's out of Carolina. It's really that simple for me. Well, I'm going to go on the record and say that in the four-man run chats over the last several months, I was on Team Khalid by myself. <laughs> I mean, I, I felt like that. You know, a lot of people blew his contract up out of proportion. I mean, when you broke it down the way Gettleman had it set up, it was basically a two-year contract, $25 million guaranteed with three option years. The first option year was 2019. So by, you know, the fact that this comp- this offseason that we're in now, had that contract not been touched, we could have released Matt Khalil and not have this $14.7 million dead cap now hanging over our salary cap, you know. But Herney had to pick up the option last March. That guaranteed the salary. It is what it is. I'm this type of guy that if you're on the team, like like Larry said, whether I agree with you or not, you know, signing, you're going to have my support because I'm a Carolina Panther fan. Um, I'm not just a Cam Newton fan. I'm not just a Luke Keekley fan. I'm not just a Greg Olson fan. I'm a Carolina fan. So any player that's on my team, I'm a I'm a defend them publicly, you know, to the death. Now behind the scenes with my boys, like with y'all, you know, I might speak more condescending if if stuff's going on, but you know, that's just how I roll. But overall, I mean, it was time to part ways. The team willing to navigate around that dead cap to push forward, I think showed a lot of balls. Because, you know, you can also make an argument to why well, was the reason to keep him. But, you know, once we uh, once we resigned Daryl Williams to the one-year deal, that pretty much sealed the deal for Matt Khalil. That leads us to the next part. Um, Daryl Williams coming back on a one-year deal. Personally, I thought he was gone. I thought he was going to test the free agent markets. I had saw where it was the Giants and the Bills presumably buying for his services. I had seen as much as... His market value being around eleven to thirteen million dollars. Hey, I thought he was gone, but things happened that I didn't foresee, and he's back in Carolina on a one-year prove-it deal. Hey, let's roll up these sleeves, let's go to work because he now know that he's playing to to justify his salary, and I think he's gonna be coming out playing on fire because nobody thought he was good enough to offer him a big deal. So I think that's gonna benefit us, and who knows, we may end up resigning him to a long-term deal. What you fellas think? When you break down his career, what do you got? You got one good season, you know, surrounded by injuries and inconsistency. So, you know, when you look at what he was looking for in the market, I think he kind of overvalued himself and tried to play that all-pro card a little much. You know, I'm happy we have him back at that price. You know, if I told you I wasn't concerned about the knee injury and how he's going to recover from that, you know, I'd be lying. I think I, I do have concerns about that. So, you know, I think glad to have him back, but I still think the offensive tackle is very much in play in this upcoming draft. Um, one of the first one of the first film breakdowns that four-man rush ever did was on Darrell Williams. Um, we got a, a lot of confidence in the guy, but my thing was I didn't think we was going to resign him just off the strength that how can you resign something that's unknown? Nobody to this day, I mean, we signed him for a cost-efficient deal, but we still don't know what he really is, and that's really all it came down to. Nobody knows what he is after two horrible knee injuries. So I'm glad we got Moten to step up, and hopefully we get the best out of Darrell Williams. If he's healthy, you know he's a go-to guy. But like Will said, I'm all for trying to really solidify it and get something that you know is going to play good, and that's going to be in the draft. Like Andre Dillard, that's the guy I'm going for as far as tackle. But – I think it was a good signing to get Darrell Williams. At least you have somebody to put there temporarily, at least. As far as Darrell Williams goes in his future, I mean, I personally feel like this is his tape to put out for the GMs with the salary cap for next season. You know, even if he plays well and gets a huge mega deal off, I'm not 
Personally, I'm not going to be feeling no kind of way if he if he leaves for the big payday. I mean, it is a business. Uh, but like you fellas mentioned, I think offensive tackle in the early rounds is still very much in play. Because since we're talking about resumes, let's keep in mind, Moten only got two years left this year and next year being a second round pick. There's no fifth year option with Moten. And if he performs solidly again in 2019, and 20, I mean, if we're going to put a, a big deal on an offensive lineman, he, his resume is going to definitely be worth more than what Darrell Williams put out anyway because, as we all know, Moten actually graded higher at right tackle this year than Darrell Williams did in his all-pro season. So if Moten puts three solid seasons together, I mean, if anybody's going to get that big payout, it's going to be him. So I definitely think that – uh. Uh, an offensive tackle is going to be something of a priority because thinking ahead, you know, you have to look look, look that far down the line, you know. Pay him like a, a left tackle or do you pay him like a right tackle? I think with Moten, I mean, so far we've only seen him on the right. I think this year will be his left tackle um, from a debut. Um, he was started – he started off left tackle at week one against Dallas. Um, then Williams got hurt again. He had to move back over to the right. I think that that's going to play well for him. If he can have another solid season playing right or left, that's going to do nothing but increase his market value tremendously. And I, I definitely think that this season is just as important for him and his future as anybody else on the offensive line. Uh, because I think that uh, – I don't know when Trey Turner's contract is up, but, you know um, you know, as far as like putting so much money on so many spots – if Darrell Williams shows out and gets a big deal and goes elsewhere and we give a big contract to Moten, I'm cool with that. Um, but I definitely think this year will be his his audition to show he can be just as good at left tackle as he was as right tackle. And um, I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, the sample size at left tackle is still uh, very small. You got to keep it in mind. You know, he made the move, what, third preseason game? So you got a sample of maybe two preseason games and week one at Dallas. And if you saw how Norv was calling plays that game, we weren't doing, you know, vertical passing five, seven step drops and leaving them on the island one on one against the elite ends. We haven't really seen him, you know, at left tackle like that to really have that much confidence that he can be the answer at that position. So I think that's one thing I'm really interested in seeing this summer is how well he can uh, play that role because I think the sample size is too small right now for me to crown him as the next, you know, Jordan Gross, next franchise left tackle of this team. Hey, Larry, anything else you want to add to it? No, I agree with you guys for the most part. Tackle's still something we need to go after through, through the drive, but I agree for the whole the most part, but everything you guys said. Yeah, real quickly, uh, just off the top of your heads, guys, uh, who who's some potential left tackles y'all see in a draft that might be available in the first couple of rounds that you think be a good fit? I like um, Jonah Williams, of course. He might not be available at uh, 16, but that's one. You know, I let Larry talk about his boy, Dillard. Um I like uh, Jawan Taylor. He played both sides. You know, I think he might be uh, – I've seen him mocked as high as seven at Jacksonville, so he might not be on the board when we pick. But it don't have to be in the first round. I mean, you know, he's still – whether you pick him in 16 or in the second or third round, he's going to need some type of development. So, you know, don't sleep on those second, third round guys like Titus Howard, you know, Alabama State, the small school. Show the small school some love here. You know, I think he – showed out in the senior bowl against, you know, top-notch opposition and showed his worth. So and I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we had an official visit with him set up, a private visit set up with him. So that's somebody to keep an eye on as well. So I think we got options. The thing with offensive linemen is they just – they're underdeveloped in the draft. So really it don't matter if you get a guy in the first round or get a guy in the seventh round. They're going to need some kind of development because the way college offenses are set up now, a lot of them can't do both. Like, either a guy can either pass block really well and can't run block or vice versa. A guy can maul you and can't pass block. But if I like anybody at tackle, it's got to be in the first round for me. I think Andre Dillard is that guy. He has the best feet out of everybody that you guys have brought up. 
I've, my concern was his strength, but he showed in the combine that he does have some upper body strength, so he should be able to hold up any NFL. And he's also going to develop. I mean, the strength and conditioning program we have here is top notch. So I like Andre Dillard. That's my guy. Um, if we were to go center, which we probably won't, you know, like I said before, it would be Bradbury. But at tackle, I like Andre Dillard 100%. Yeah, those are definitely some college prospects that I'm pretty sure are high on the Panthers draft board and like I say we'll see how picks 1 through 15 fall and and uh, we'll definitely go from there but uh, you was talking about the center position uh, obviously we I'm going to go out on a limb and say we pulled off one of the big steals of free agency by signing uh, Matt Paredes formerly of the Denver Broncos you know all of us are for very familiar with pro football focus uh, they had him ranked as the number two center last year, in spite only playing half the season uh, due to re- sustaining a leg injury that kept him out the second half of the season. I mean, guys, this, t- you know, his market value was showing anywhere around 11, possibly $12 million. And we was able to get him for around a $9 million range. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's going to allow us to ease from the Ryan Khalil era of centers right along into the Matt Paredes era. And I think that we're not going to see any drop-off. Now, I haven't watched him enough to say his play is going to be better than Ryan Khalil's, but I have no reason not to think that we can't expect Ryan Khalil-type play, if not the opportunity for it to be better. Because as we all stated, you know, the legend, the guru, Matt, you know, um, Matsko will definitely get his get his hands on him and fine tune some things and and definitely take him to the next level. You know, with the film broke down breakdown that I did on him. I mean, I just kept seeing the things that stood out to me was his footwork, his leverage, his hand placement, and his awareness. And even when he gets initially beat, and Larry, you pointed this out to me, and um, when we was discussing this, how he turns his hips. You know, he's able to get his hips around. And I think Cam Newton's going to have a very clean pocket for at least the next three years as long as uh, Paredes is there. No knock against Larson. I think we would have got decent play, but uh, Paredes is on another level, and I'm not even mad. What you think, Will? I agree with everything. I think I'm optimistic, but, you know, it's still it's cautiously optimistic because we don't know how he's going to bounce back from that, you know, broken leg injury. So, you know, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, he can potentially be the answer at center. We got him for lower than market value because of that injury. So, you know, there's some upside there. Yeah, so keeping on with the theme of, uh, you know, Panthers making moves. Also, backup quarterback Taylor Heineck was resigned to a one-year deal. I mean, everybody's familiar with his story. Scott Turner spotted him at um, Old Dominion. Uh, he ended up being a, I think, an undrafted free agent that the Vikings took. So he automatically has been familiar with North system. And I think personally he did very well when played against the Falcons until he uh, had the elbow injury um, because that's when he threw his three interceptions after the elbow injury. But again, someone that knows the system and got some mobility and you know, just got some a little bit of that it factor, that heart that, you know, I'm going to gut this thing out and I'm going to put it all out there. You know, you like guys like that on your team. So I think that was a uh, a definitely good resigning. So, yeah, he's back in the fold. Uh, just for the record, Kyle Allen is under contract this well. So that'll now have us at three quarterbacks, Cam, uh, Heineck, and um, Allen. But uh, I definitely think we uh, – we could be bringing in another quarterback for Kent. We usually we usually take four. So now that um, Gilbert's lighting it up in the uh, <laughs> in the NFL developmental league, but we'll see how that goes. But uh, speaking of quarterbacks, let's talk about Cam Newton. Um, you know this this is the face of the franchise, and he uh, had his arthroscopic surgery on his shoulder and. You know, Cam put out there on his new on his new um, YouTube video that he's series that he's doing that uh, he's now going vegan. On addition to rehabbing his shoulder, he's taking on this vegan lifestyle. Personally, I 
I'm not real familiar with vegan. I know you're not supposed to not only know meats, but anything dealing with animal products. I've seen some people in the Panther groups at odds over the pros and cons of athletes being vegans. How do you fellas feel? To me, I mean, as long as he's researched it the right way, pretty sure he has a pretty good trainer around him. Whatever works, whatever works for him. My concern is his health. I just mean, I mean, it's also going vegan is a big mental challenge for your body. So I think that actually shows me that he's fully dedicated to becoming 100% healthy. I mean, you can do all the rehab you want, but if you don't have your mindset on getting better, then you're not going to get better. But that shows me that he has the... Cam said with this vegan lifestyle, he's looking to come into the season around 235 pounds, which would be like the lowest of his career. I think during... I think the biggest Cam ever's been is 265. So for a quarterback to drop 30 pounds, that's uh, he's pretty much just trying to be as lean as possible. And uh, I still think he's still going to get his couple of runs here and there. But definitely, as uh, Will stated, definitely want to see him work in the pocket, hitting more right. Olsen, Thomas, McCaffrey hitting them all in stride on, on pass plays. So I definitely would see the best of Cam Newton to come, picking up right where he left off before. Before he got uh, before he got injured, so definitely looking forward to that. You know, Funches is catching passes from Andrew Luck now. Well, hopefully he don't, you know, cramp up at the wrong time. You know, that was <laughs> you know, chronic cramps. <laughs> uh, I love Funch, man. I, I wish him nothing but the best. I mean, we we took a hybrid tight end and, and made him to a, a you know a decent NFL receiver. So I just wish Funch the best. You know, no no love lost here. No hate on my heart. You know, hey, at the end of the day, it's a business. Go get his check. He got a pretty decent check, so I'm proud of him. Now, a lot of Panther fans have been talking about what showed up on TMZ. Uh, it wouldn't be us if we ain't talk about it ourselves. Uh, Taylor Hearn decided to take himself down to Augusta, Georgia, get, get drunk, and end up fighting multiple people, and he got the Mike Tyson treatment. Um, <laughs> hey, we we can't have nobody that's that's on our squad taking airs like that on TV or, and it caught on camera. Had this happened and not caught on camera, it'd have been you know it'd been one thing, but you know all of our rivals and everybody who don't got don't nothing to say about us. That's all we keep hearing about. That's why Cam keep getting hit. Y'all lime fight. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yo, how did y'all feel when y'all saw the video? Man, he got to go. He got to <laughs> go. Like, he out there. He out there, man. Offensive lineman. He looked like an offensive lineman out there trying to backpedal, you know, slide shift and pass block the guy instead of throwing a punch. I mean, come on now. He's blocking punches with his face. He got to go, man. He should have been cut before he got back to the crib, man. Like I can't have nobody. <laughs> you said he. I mean, he, you you can't. He gotta go, man. He can't fight. He can't block. I don't even. A lot of people don't even know who he was. So I, that's tell you enough. But obviously, he's not focused on making the fifty three. <laughs> Y'all there well, pushing the guy like he's trying to block, run block the guy. Man, <laughs> you know what I mean, come on, man. Out there doing I can't trust him to protect my asset. Like a guy like Trey Turner, not for none of that. You know that we got real, we got real brawlers when our office and wine, but I don't know about Mr. Hearn, man. He got to go, man. Send him to the Falcons or something. They use him. Well, the Panther fans that 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 are Clemson fans, they definitely know about him. He was on that 2016 national championship team. So, uh, but yeah, bro, you got to give up their, that practice squad spot, definitely. Um, yeah, you just you just a bad look. Uh, wish you well, but yeah, bro, you got to go. You know, you need to. You know, you need to take your drunk, trying to fight slash work on my pass blocking self up out of Carolina, bro. We we can't we can't have yeah. the type of L's over our franchise. We we don't had enough L's on other stuff already. We don't need you contributing no more. Doing John Masco pass blocking drills in a street fight, man. Come on now. You gotta go. It's like he was studying earlier, got drunk, and then <laughs> what he was studying just took over. Well, <laughs> 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 oh man speaking of pass blocking and drills things like that we had a lot of our fans reach out to reach out to us and 
kind of want to know what do all these drills that these players are going through during these pro days and combine, what does it all mean? Like, obviously, everybody, the most popular drill is the 40-yard time. And personally, I think that's one of the most overrated drills to project a player's greatness and ability is to 40. Basically, talking about an underwear party that <laughs> that people are trying to judge how many millions extra they're worth depending on how fast he can run in his draws. You know, but there's other things out there that that can give more insight of a player's worth. Now, uh, I can be up front. I'm not as in tune as all these drills are, so I'm going to sit back and let Will and Larry give the breakdown of the combine drills, what they mean, what they show, and point out some of our current Panther players that excelled in certain aspects, and that shows why they do so well on the field. So, fellas, start off with you, Will. You and Larry, y'all can uh, take over, and uh, I'm going to sit back and learn with everybody else. Yeah, with D. Lyman, you know, you want to look at that 10-yard split on the 40-yard dash. That's going to see how – that's going to, you know, measure how he's going to get off the ball, how fast he's going to get. You know, like with Nick Bosa, his 40 time was, you know – I mean, it wasn't bad. It was pretty good, actually, but it didn't really stand out. But his 10-yard split was elite, and that's really more reflective of who he is as a player. You know, when you look at D-line drills, you want to look at the agility drills, see how well can he bend the edge and get to the quarterback. You know, what that means is think about where a defensive end lines up. You don't want to run your pass rush and over-arc it and run around the pocket, and you're not going to get to the quarterback. You know, at some point, you got to plant your foot in the ground and make that horizontal move, you know, use that agility, that flexibility, that bend to get around the corner and shorten your distance between you know, getting off the ball and getting to the quarterback. So that's what a lot of those agility drills you see the D linemen doing. You also want to see, you know, how well they use their hands. So that's what the pad drills are for and how well they get off cut blocks. That's what that other drill where they're going in and out with the pads on the ground. It's hard to kind of explain without a visual, but, you know, that's the kind of things you're trying to see with defensive linemen. And I think, you know, with defensive backs, you don't want to see how fluid their hips are, how they transition from their back pedal to a sprint, you know, and can come out of their breaks. And that's what you see, you know, when you're playing zone coverage, you'll see a defensive back, you know, back pedal. He's got to recognize the route, make that quick break, break on the ball and try to make the play. So those are the things you want to look at, just fluid hip movement, you know, transition from a back pedal to a sprint, you know, move laterally. And those are things you want to look at there. And I have to think with the same things with running backs and wide receivers, you want to look at agility drills. Like for, you look at Christian McCaffrey, you know, his 40 time was what, four? It was a good 40 time, but what really separated him was elite agility drills, and you really see that on the field. So, you know, I agree, the 40 time is just one measure, but also look at the uh, field drills and the agility drills to see, you know, how a player is going to be able to um, act, be able to perform in game-type situations. I think to be successful in the NFL, well, at least most of the successful players that you see at various positions, whether it's linebacker, D-line, O-line, DB, et cetera, explosion is very important in the NFL. And I think I pay attention mostly to the, the drills that display explosion. That's like the vertical jump. That's the broad jump. That's the 10-yard split off of the 40. Um, you look at a guy like I'll use, I'll use Cam as an example. He's not the fastest quarterback in the world, but he had really explosive and really explosive combine numbers. Like he had a nice vertical. His 10 yard split was good. His broad jump was good. That told you he was explosive. That's how he's able to separate himself from defenders. A guy like Trey Turner, he ran a 4-9-340. Matt Khalil ran a 4-9-9-40. That showed that they had the ability to pull and get out and get onto the second level and block defenders. And I also pay attention to the bench press with offensive linemen, too, because you want to see if they have that upper body strength to finish blocks. Like the lower body strength is to get into guys and get pushed, but you need that upper body strength to finish blocks. When you start seeing the pancake blocks and stuff like that, usually guys have pretty good bench press numbers. Matt Khalil, I mean, sorry, Ryan Khalil had pretty good numbers, and that's why I'm so high on Bradbury because he performed everything well. He had a 4 8 40. 
Um, I think 34 reps on the bench press. That shows me that he can do pretty much everything, even at his smaller size, like 300 pounds. But that's really what I pay attention to in the, in the combine. I look at the explosive drills. I want to know if a guy is explosive. And that's really what I pay attention to. Okay. Well, I mean, hey, I can also say I definitely uh, learned to pick up some of some things. I know how uh, people think that if a player's not running a 4-4 four, four or less that he's slow or you know, I hear people arguing over four five, over four six, and like I said, the whole forty time, forty yard dash is like like Will said, it's part of it, but it's definitely not run all tell all because how often are players running, you know, forty yards, you know, uncontested? You know, it's rare. Yeah, it's rare. Hey, that's one of the easier metrics for people to go by. And um, you know, you said earlier it's overrated. I'll give you another example. Everybody's so high on what DK Metcalf because he ran a big, a big fast forty. Did anybody pay attention to his agility drills? They were horrendous. Like, so that tells me, you know, when he gets the ball, he might be able to sprint for a touchdown. But how good of a route runner is he if he's not explosive out of the agility drills? So that's just a, something that I picked up on. This forty didn't mean anything to me, but a lot of people were blown away by it. Yeah, anytime your agility drills are worse than Tom Brady's, because I, I saw that meme. I don't know if you guys saw it where <laughs> Tom Brady had better agility um, scores than uh, DK Metcalf. I thought that was pretty funny myself. Yeah, with a DK Metcalf, you know, I mean, the agility drills were poor, but you just got to think about how he wins on the football field. He's not winning with route separation. He's winning with athleticism. So how long can he get away with that at the pro level? You know, at some point he's going to have to add that route running to his game. I think um, one of the announcers made a good – or Steve Smith, I think, actually needs to put down the barbells and, you know, pick up a yoga mat, you know, improve that flexibility <laughs> so he can better, you know, run those routes. And, you know, you don't want to be a great athlete running in straight lines. You want to be nimble and be able to, you know, move around a bit. So – I think he'll he'll probably still go high off his athleticism and ceiling. You know, you rarely see a athlete like that with that kind of ceiling. But if a team is willing to invest into working on his agility and and, and fine tune it, I, I definitely think that you know with everything else that he's trying that the uh, he's that kid got a chance to be something really special. But it's all a matter of are you willing to be patient and invest to get him to become a precise route runner because it's not like he had mind-blowing stats, you know, in college anyway. You know, he's basically getting a lot of love off of an Instagram picture of him with his shirt off with boys on his team and the time that he ran at uh, at the Combine. Outside of that, uh, most people hadn't even heard of this guy, you know, until then. So you know, I remember he was splitting – uh... He had another good receiver with him, too. You got to keep in mind, uh, uh, A.J. Brown is going to be a first or second round pick. So He's number one on a lot of people's boards. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, Ole Miss, Mississippi State had the defense. You know, Ole Miss had the offense, you know, so. Y'all want me to be real with you, man. I don't, I don't even want to discuss receivers into the mid to late rounds. I like, the, I like what we have. I like the veteran presence that we have already, and I like the young guys we have. And then you add the fact that Christian McCaffrey can do it all. I mean, how big of a need is receiver for us at this point? Yeah, I mean, yeah, with the guys. Yeah, go ahead, Will. I was just going to say, just to fill out the depth chart, you know, you got four guys I like already. You know, maybe is Moe's Frazier going to step up and take that fifth spot? Or do you use That's, what I, was going, that's what I was going to say. Yep, yeah. Moe's Frazier, I'm yeah. big on him too. Yeah, so, yeah. We got five yeah. guys right there, so. Yeah, I mean, for those that's still in love with the big body thing, I mean, we got still got Bug Howard on the squad. I mean, Ian Thomas um, is the big bodied option. You know, he got a what thirty nine inch vertical, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that's your goal line weapon right there. Got to use him more. And then at the end of the day, I mean, how much success has Cam had with big body receivers? I mean, that was always the narrative. You know, because he lacked accuracy, we want to go get big body guys, but. If I'm not mistaken, most of his success has been thrown to the smaller guys like your Ted Ginn and Philly Browns. You know, when you see them last year with DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, I don't think he has a problem where he needs to have a big receiver around him. 
I'd rather go back to that E-word, explosion. Give me the most explosive guys that can catch the ball and do something with it. Yeah, the Chiefs, big body. They're the uh, most explosive offense. They're big body guys. They're tied in, right? Tyreek, Sammy aren't really, you know, yeah. big body. Kelsey is their big body guy. That's all they need. Yeah, yeah. Um, Patriots, you know, got, well, they had Gordon for a minute, but Gronk fill that role for them. So you know, I think we can get by with what we got. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely we can get by because with these draft picks, I mean, a majority of it, I hope we fill in, you know, best play available, but definitely uh, tighten up our defense on all levels. I mean, I, I see, you know, reasons why we can need to add a D tackle, a DN, a linebacker, a corner, and a safety. You know, that's that's five of the seven picks right there, you know. And on offense, you know, grab a, you know, offensive tackle and maybe draft a running back. But, you know, it depends on how it goes. Only person I really kind of kind of like him a little bit in the draft is uh, he played at Georgia. What's his name? Miko Hartman. Y'all, y'all know who I'm talking about? What position? Wide receiver. Oh, uh, yeah, wide receiver from Georgia. He fought. He fast. Yeah. Like him. Yeah. Like I watched some film on him. Like I just see that that's been another play mo- playmaker tie. It's, he he kind of reminds me of combining Moore and Samuel together. You know, that that. You know, this just just from my observation. But again, if we don't touch wide receiving the draft, not even mad. Only receiver there I like go. in the draft is Ohio State, Mr. Paris. But we already have two guys that are a lot like him. So, like I said, I'm happy we got good veteran leadership, and we got young guys that we can build around. I mean, honestly, we need to focus on other things like everything you mentioned: defensive end, DT. Corner safety, running back, and offensive line. Those are my focuses. Oh yeah, definitely. But you know, as we you know, you know, come towards the end part of this podcast here, just thought I would you know update y'all what happened today. I mean, you know, we touched on it briefly earlier, but you know, Panthers were able to sign defensive end slash linebacker Bruce Irvin. Uh, I definitely think that's going to be. That's 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 a solid move right there. May not make a lot of headlines, but I think that's a move that'll pay off for us right there. And also, because um, I posted on the Four Man Rush Facebook page for y'all to see, uh, the Panthers have begun construction on putting a bubble over the uh, over the practice field starting today. The so they've uh, took took up all the turf and all the dirt and. Um, True to his word, Mr. Tupper is definitely looking to put a bubble over a temporary bubble over the current practice facility until everything can get going at the uh, new location. Probably a couple of years away from that opening up. But uh, fellas, real quickly, what y'all what y'all think about uh, the Bruce Irvin signing, and also what you think about the uh, start of the bubble? I think Bruce Irvin feels a need. Uh, what you try to do is try to fill as many holes as you can on defense before the draft. So free agency is used to do just that, and I think Herney's been doing that. One thing that stood out to me is they asked Bruce Irvin, what does he think he is? Is he a linebacker or a defensive end? He said he can play both, but he says he likes having his hand in the dirt more. So I think that you know his versatility alone is something that we, we lacked, that we're going to be able to benefit from this year. And uh, as far as the new, the new bubble, I think it's needed. Most of the other teams have a competitive advantage because if they have bad weather, they can literally practice inside. We don't have that ability. So I appreciate having Mr. Tepper around because he seems to be focused and motivated on making sure we get a championship. And there's little things like that that matter, you know, having a facility where weather can't control what we do. I agree with it. Yeah, I don't have much to add. You know what I mean? If the key with free agency, you want to fill your needs there so you can draft BPA, you know, your roster's filled up. You know, I think you never want to go into the draft with a bunch of holes and needs. You know, that's when you end up, uh, like Bill Belichick said, you know, why would you draft for a need when you when there may not be a player on the board that can fill that need? And that's how you end up with guys like Daryl Worley as your starting cornerback who isn't ready to play yet. So. <laughs> And you end I up think, cutting guys you know, like Zach Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think with um Bruce Irvin, I know what I'm getting. You know, Bruce Irvin gonna give me 
60% quality snap. So if we draft the edge, you know, let's see what you made of. Come on, OTAs, come in training camp and come take Bruce's reps. Come take Mario's reps and see what you got. Competition never hurts. Iron sharpening iron. I mean, I want the most competitive, you know, 90-man roster. I want someone that's a fifth, sixth, or seventh string looking up like, oh, I'm, I'm coming here to get me a job. I don't care what y'all think. You know, I want players that not only had that mind frame, but show that type of ability. So, yeah, I want the best 90 players, regardless of position, that's going to be on our roster as we head to Camp Walford, possibly for the last time. I concur. Didn't you say uh, fans had some questions for us? Yeah, yeah. This is the uh, the last final segment here. Um, after we did our initial podcast, I followed up with the post asking asking our fans to let us know what questions they had. So this is definitely part where we, uh, where we show love to our fans and let them know that we hear you and that we're definitely looking forward to um, hearing what you got to say. And we're going to interact with you. Got some questions here. Uh, First question was from John Durando. His question was, I've been wondering about these three, four rumors with us. Any info on how, it, if it would be a, a few looks or a full-on switch? Also, how big of an impact will having the 3-4 be on our pick at number 16? Yeah, I think the confusion about the 3-4 defense is, first off, let's get out the habits of just calling base defenses 4-3 and 3-4. Football's evolved. Nobody's playing, you know, base defense that often anymore. It's more about the three three fives and the four two fives with the extra nickel in there. But what Ron Rivera is talking about is more of a hybrid defense. And if you watch some of the Panthers games last year, you'll see it a lot where you have one thing you'll see is sometimes Paul will line up as the zero technique, which means he's lined up right over the center as a nose tackle. And you'll have, you know, two uh, more linemen, opposite him with the, their hands in the dirt, and they'll use Mario Addison as a stand-up edge. So what that allows you to do is you can move them inside and create mismatch password situations with Mario against guards. You know, you can confuse pass protections, confuse the quarterback, maybe drop Mario in coverage a few times. Or you can put, you know, Mario on a, as a stand-up edge or put his hand in the dirt. So when you got a versatile player like Mario Addison, you have flexibility and can run a 3-4, four, 4-3, three, or 4-2-5, 3-3-5 hybrid type defense. So all you're trying to do is find ways to create a better pass rush by creating favorable pass rush matchups. And you're trying to confuse quarterbacks by, you know, having athletic DNs or edges that can drop back into coverage, you know, and force negative plays. So, yeah, I don't think it's that big a deal. It's something the Panthers were doing a lot of last year. And maybe we'll just see more of it this year. But it's also something, you know, when you talk about draft prospects that you want to look out for, maybe we take an athletic guy like Brian Burns that can play that hybrid role and move around like that. So so we'll see what happens. I think it's a lot. I think it's something to look forward to this year. Yeah, you pretty much covered it for me. One other thing is, you know, when in the 340 advantage, is it's usually just one less guy with his hand in the dirt. And as an offensive lineman, that's usually how you make your line calls. Like, if you see a guy in a three-point stance, you know usually he's coming. That's a guy we got to call to pick up on right away. When you got a guy standing up in a two-point stance, you don't know if he's dropping back or if, or if he's coming. So it's just it's harder to call blitz assignments and stuff like that when you got an extra guy in the two-point stance rather than four guys in the three-point stance. Yeah, definitely. And um, to close this question up, Rivera pretty much said, that he wants to create an extra second or two of hesitation for not only the offense line, but for the quarterback as well. Because oddly enough, fellas, Panthers was top 10 in quarterback pressures last year, but we was bottom five in quarterback sacks. I know that sounds a little crazy, but basically we was creating, you know, havoc in the pocket, but we just couldn't bring the quarterback down. And I just think that comes to, you know, a lack of athleticism and size and, how many times were we just a half a second away from, you know, getting to the quarterback and he ended up completing a long pass for a first down on third down. So Rivera basically wants to 
have personnel on the field that we can go a three man front or a four man front and, you know, disguise what we're trying to do. So that's basically the purpose of running the hybrid. So to the fish answer question, no, it would not be all out three, four. And as Will stated, base is only used was only used like 30 percent of the time. Nickel defense is the new base in the NFL with, with it being such a pass happy league. So, you know, take out that extra linebacker, that nickel back is your is your new is your new starter for what's going on. So the that's pretty much what we got to say about the uh, three four talk. And yeah, that could have an impact on our pick at sixteen. Uh, as stated, a guy like Brian Burns, um, someone who fits the mold because he can put his hand in the dirt and come off the edge. So we'll see. Hey Kev, I'll tell you what, you go get yourself a Greedy Williams. That top ten in pressures leads to top ten in sacks. Cause that's <laughs> that's another thing you probably gave up. We probably didn't get a lot of sacks because we couldn't cover downfield, especially on third down. Like you all you saw all too often guys getting open at the last minute. So even though everybody wants an edge, I think a top notch D back can actually help solve the problem too. Yeah, with a guy like Greedy, I put Greedy on the outside, slide, slide Dante Jackson over at nickel to get these fast slot guys and Bradbury on the lock on the other on the opposite corner. I mean, with Reed back there and whatever we decide to do with the other safety spot, hey, I can roll with that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I understand uh, Ron Rivera, you know, he's a zone. He comes from the Jim Johnson zone blitz scheme, but it just still bothers me that we're – 31% man coverage still at the bottom of the league with, you know, James Bradbury excels in press. Dante Jackson excels in press. I just want to see, you know, even if we're not, I mean, Ron will always be a zone coverage guy, but you know, let's get that 31 up to maybe 40 next year. You know, just want to see agree. more challenging receivers, more man coverage than we normally do. I mean, we're never going to be the Patriots, you know, play all out man cover zero type defense, but let's get it. Maybe not. Instead of 30%, let's get it up to 40 at least. You know, I want to see more challenging receivers. I think that's what our cornerbacks do best. Yeah, that's their strength. And also, when you press a guy, that completely throws off the timing for the quarterback. And that extra half a second is the timing that we need to get a sack, you know? So I agree 100%. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if I had my – if if my wish could be granted, I hope the ratio is 55% zone. 45% man, because for what we just said, our corners are, are strong. Natural stone point is, is a man press coverage. So we'll see how that goes. Todd, this next question is a fun one. This my boy. I know I'm going to murder his name, but he's been around from day one. Teher Jahudi out in California. He wants to know, can Mike Rowe catch these hands? Catch him <laughs> I like mean, anyone, Taylor Hearn. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think Mike Rowe can move a little bit faster than that. You know, uh, you know, Mike don't really drink, so I think Mike Rowe can uh <laughs> I think he can put up a better fight than Taylor Hearn any day. <laughs> as long as he out there you know, doing pass blocking drills in a street fight, you can probably hold up longer than Hearn. Mike Rowe, we love you, man. You you can get everybody all riled up with your troll posts, man, but we all know where your heart you know what I'm saying? You 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 one of the day ones. You was in here when this group, when the Panthers group were number three or four thousand people. So hey, you know, you got my respect. All right, next question. Chris Short. Has anyone heard anything about Kyle Love? In my opinion, he was the only one performing on the D-line last year. I keep checking free agency on ESPN, but haven't seen anything on him yet. Uh me personally, I haven't heard anything either. Um, you know, with such a strong you know, defensive line class coming out, you know, these veteran defensive linemen, you know, may just have to wait. Um, Will, I think you had touched on it earlier before we started this podcast that, uh, you know, Nagandan Sue hasn't been signed yeah. yet either. So this might be a this might be a wait and see period for the defensive linemen with so much talent coming out. That was what that was what I was saying. You know, Sue is a, still at his age is a top notch guy. But I heard that, you know, he'll probably have to wait post-draft. And that's probably the same thing with Kyle Love. We should be able to get him at the price we want. But you don't want to go ahead and spend that money on a guy now, and then you get on the draft board, you got a young prospect that you can go ahead and grab. So I think they're probably going to wait till after the draft. You know, see what we do in the draft first. See if we get a DT that we need first. 
And if we don't end up with the DT that we want, we can always try to bring Kyle Love back. Right. All right. This next question came from Michael L. Isaac. He says, <laughs> well, this is going to be a funny one. With bringing Darrell Williams back on a prove-it deal, do we see Matt Khalil move inside to left guard, or will he provide depth at the tackle position? Matt Khalil just moved outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and he will provide depth at the rehabilitation table. That's where I see Matt Khalil at right now. <laughs> Helping out at his little restaurant that he got up north. Oh, but to his credit, Matt Khalil – uh, Matt, a very beautiful woman, so he's living his best life right now. So, hey, enjoy yourself, Matt. Thank you for your efforts, but we'll get with you. Uh, next question comes from Charlie Chavis. <laughs> this is a popular name in Panthers Panthers groups. Are we resigning the GOAT, Brinson Burson? Um, not that I heard of. I know I'm pretty happy with the receiver room we have right now. Plus, uh, hopefully, Moles Frazier can get added to the 53-man roster this year. He can win that job in camp. I mean, I love Britton Burson, man. He has such a low a low drop percentage. He was a team guy. He took all the pounding. He blocked well. I mean, I would love to have him back. I just don't think it's realistic in the future right now. Yeah, I mean, I think Burson, that's an emergency-only type of guy. Um, God knows – he, he lays blocks. He goes all out, like you said, low drop percentage, runs routes, would do anything that you ask of him. I mean, you know, he's one of them hard effort guy that every team needs. But, you know, we uh we need a little bit more with what we're trying to do with North Turner at the helm. So, but uh, high the chance he won't come back. But if we get hit with injuries, two or three receivers come down, it wouldn't surprise me if he did come back. But let me knock on wood. That will not happen. That was me knocking on wood, y'all, so I didn't put the jinx on our wide receiver core. All right, our next question is from Ari Brown. What should be the what should be Herney's number one priority for that first-round pick? And who might you say are the top candidates for us to grab then? It's three words, fellas. We know these three words like nobody else. BPA. <laughs> Best player available. I know that's not always popular with fans. I know we get caught up in the combine hype and and rumors and these experts putting out mock drafts. But simply, you you want to you want to take the best play, player available. Now, I have seen where some have said weighted BPA. You want to take the best player available at a position that you can upgrade. For example, let's just say if a quarterback was there at number sixteen, that was. Out of his world. We're not drafting a quarterback because he's best player available. You know what I'm saying? So it comes with some common sense with what, what it is that you're trying to do. Quarterback, running back is not going to be best player available for us at number 16, even if they are talent-wise, you know. So yeah, that's pretty much what I got to say about that. I mean, I think it's going to come down to just a few positions. Uh, best player available at tackle, center, Edge, DT, or corner. Those five positions right there. Who's the best player at 16? I'm taking them. Yeah, I right. think it's just in our favor that this is a loaded defensive draft. So best player available in this particular draft will be a position that we can use upgrades at. And that's good for the Panthers. And that's that's it's a it's a good feeling to go into the draft like that. And you gotta credit Herney for doing what he was supposed to do in free agency. He filled as many holes as he could with the little bit of money that we had. Everybody was so worried about the cap. But you look at the end of the day, we got Eric Reed back. Safety's not a question, at least on at least one of them. Um, you go get Bruce Irvin today. You go get the center of the future with for at least the next three years in Paradise. So he filled as many holes as he could. He brought Darrell Williams back. So hopefully our tackle question is gone. That way you can go into the draft, you know, picking the best player out of all those positions. If you think about it, we could put out a competitive roster if the season started tomorrow. I just think the draft just icing on the cake at this point. I agree. All right. This next question has questions on top of questions. It's basically about Cam. I'm going to go through it, and then we can just address it all at once here. This is from my fellow admin of the Panthers group, David Widger. Um. He says, how soon does Carolina have to start thinking about life after Cam? 
In today's NFL, most young quarterbacks do not have a lot of time to sit on the sidelines to grow and watch. Do we start thinking about that now? Do we wait and trust that Cam's going to be healthy? How well does Cam have to perform for us to offer him the expected $30 million a year that his agent is going to demand? Are we at the point as a franchise that we can let someone of Cam's talent, status, and commercial draw go in 2021 if he underperforms? I'll go first because my answer is pretty short. I mentioned earlier Tyree Jackson. I mean, I'm a big fan of taking him in like the third or fourth round. I kind of take a a page out of Bill Belichick's book. Even if you take a a top-notch guy and say Cam stays healthy, you never get to use the guy. You you at least have trade value. So, I mean, to answer answer David's question, I start looking now. Guy's going into year nine. He's He's about to be on the plus side of 30 in the next couple of years. Nothing wrong with looking for a formidable young backup that can eventually become a starter. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to be trash enough to get a, you know, Baker Mayfield as the first pick in the draft or a quarterback of that caliber. So, I mean, I think, you know, you got to, you know, find that. I mean, if it was Patrick Mahomes, like the 12th pick or something, and he sat behind uh, Alex Smith for a year, and then he was ready to take over when need be. So I think it wouldn't hurt to try to start grooming a guy with, you know, a later later round pick to potentially either take over one day or provide trade value, like Larry said. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you know, health is one thing that as fans, with all our access and knowledge about – you know, the medical field, that's just something that we can't control and we can't determine. So it's best to have a plan that you don't need than to need a plan that you don't have. So I know we got Allen. I know we got Heineck. But if a guy like Larry mentioned, like um, Tyree Jackson is available, I'm, I'm not opposed to taking it. I'm not saying that's what we should do. But if we did, I'm not going to be mad if we do. That's That's just how I feel about it. All right, last two questions here. Uh, this is from my boy Kevin Riggs. Only question I have is I'm sort of shocked. Did anyone think that we would release Khalil this season? Wow, I really was shocked when we released him. Fellas, how shocked with y'all? Once we signed Daryl, it was done. I mean, it made too much sense. We got Daryl and Moten. You know, they outperformed him. Khalil had two years to show himself. What else is there to say? Right. I mean, I was so concerned about the cap hit. So, yeah, I'll say I was extremely surprised. But I'm, at the same time, I'm just as relieved. Like, I've been wanting to move on from Khalil. So that's my answer. I, I was shocked, but relieved at the same time. All right. And the last question from our fans is from Uriah Curry. He says, is Eric Berry a good fit? and what Ron Rivera wants to do on defense. When healthy, he's a perennial first-team all-pro type safety. I think he's a good fit in just about anybody's anybody's defensive backfield. Um, I don't think he'll be as cheap as what some people think off the strength that he was a top-five pick. And like I said, when healthy, first-team first, first, first all-pro every year. But um, there's just like anybody else, there's that unknown because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He hasn't been able to stay on the field. I mean, I would take a look at him if I had the opportunity. I mean, if you have the opportunity to bring in a player like Eric Berry to your team with your cap space, you do it. You know, if you can take gambles on Matt Khalil, you could definitely take gambles on Eric Berry. So we can make it work with the cap space we got. You know, I'm 100% in with that. I mean... My take on this, as far as Eric Berry, it, it reminds me of when I was at a family reunion. I had an uncle, and he was going around, you know, reminisce about how he was the man. And he said, boys, I was hell when I was well. Then my aunt came around and said, hell, you never well, though. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just, um, you know, it's a crapshoot. It's a gamble. So uh, we want to thank everybody for listening to episode two, season one of the Four Man Rush. Half of myself, Bill Harris, Larry Reynolds the third, 
uh, Monty Fetty Jr. And also want to give a shout out to our behind the scenes staffs, our video and audio producer, Timothy Johnson, our wonderful blog writer, Noah Stormberg, and our social media and marketing expert, Carnado Greg James. Uh, these gentlemen behind the scenes help make our jobs be a lot easier. So on behalf of all of us, I want to say thank you. We look forward to the next to the next episode. Keep pounding, and thank you for tuning in to the Four Man Rush. She love it. We out in public, and we can just chill with my partners, and we can go back to my crib and just chill out the covers and do we. The Foreman Rush is brought to you by the love and respect of and for the Carolina Panthers and Carolina Panther fans everywhere. Keep pounding. The Foreman Rush is a non-affiliate of the Carolina Panther organization. All thoughts, assessments, and content of this podcast is directly related to the Foreman Rush exclusively. Thank you.